0: Welcome listeners to episode 36 of the Running Guy podcast where I aim to provide informative content and interviews with elite athletes and health professionals around the world like in today's episode where I'm chatting to a Brisbane runner who loves running mountains who at the age of 28 has already had a very lengthy and successful career in the sport of mountain running and ultra marathons. He's the newly crowned six foot champion. Welcome to the Running Guy podcast, Ben Duffus. Welcome Ben. Thank you. Good to be here. Mate, uh just quickly we'll talk about it in more further into the discussion but uh congrats on the big win down there at six foot thank you yeah it was a really um good day and enjoyed the race a lot yeah yeah i bet i must be a bit scared to go to sleep these days in case you wake up and it was all a dream or <laughs> no it was something you've sort of
1: been working towards for a while and that so i was happy to get down there and yeah it was obviously really fun having a
0: tight contest as well yeah yeah benny saints yeah it's great yeah and we'll chat about that how's the body uh, pulled up how are the pins mate they eh? all good
1: yeah, fortunately it pulled up pretty well. I spent another week down in the Blue Mountains after the race, which it was just uh, torrential rain for the whole week. So that kind of uh, helped with taking it extra easy that week to recover. And so now, have since then, put in a decent week of training, but back into taper mode this next week because I'll be running at the Buffalo Stampede next weekend.
0: Oh, okay. Yeah, right. Yeah, right. Yeah. What what distance? The seventy-five or? Yep, the ultramarathon. Yeah, right, yeah, okay, all right, yeah, well, we'll talk further about that too. Um, so you're up Brisbane, boy, yeah? Yeah, been
1: Brisbane uh, my whole life, so yep. know the trails around here pretty well.
0: Yeah, definitely, I was sort of um, stalking on Strava there, uh, Mount Kutar, mate, you're pretty much, uh, yeah, there are a lot.
1: <laughs> yeah, I'm really fortunate to have such a network of trails right on my doorstep that yeah. I think we're lucky here in Brisbane that year. 10 minutes from a cbd and five minutes from uh such a great network of trails where i could run a well something like the brisbane trail ultra you can run 100 miles on those trails without hardly touching a road
0: i i see you up there at coota this morning i, I was doing i i'm always interested in in these names and um and those areas and I, do you know much about the um the history of of mount coota
1: unfortunately i don't know a lot about it that i feel like i should given how well i know the uh <laughs> The area, but in terms of history, yeah, I'm, I'm in general not great with history, so.
0: Yeah, yeah, there was some interesting things there I found. One that I sort of had a bit of a chuckle about because the 2016 census, because Ma- Mount Kuta obviously the mountain and the park there, but it's also considered a suburb, and the, the census yep. survey came up. There was no residents, and I thought clearly they haven't looked at uh, Benny Duffus's, um Strava uh, profile to see how often you're there because I think you uh, reside there daily, basically, so they should have at least had one there. It is a second home at this point. Uh, exactly right, mate. And, um, yeah, Kuta was uh, indigenous where the Yagara people um, used to head up there um, and collect honey from the stingless bees that are up there. And so Kuta means honey. So I thought that was interesting. The other thing was in World War Two, there was a military base there for the um, RAAF and the US Navy. And then they converted it into uh, an explosives depot and there's like 12,000 tonnes of uh, ammunition stored up there and they used to, at, over night time, it would just be... Um, um, the sky'd be um, lit up with all the um, searchlights, looking for um, enemy planes coming in. I thought uh, if they had to drop the bomb on that mountain, and there'd be no Mount Coota, and we wouldn't have Ben Duff as a mountain champion. So, just uh, some uh, some some dorky notes there, mate. But I thought all that was pretty interesting.
1: I love it. Yeah.
0: Um, yeah. So I was trying to figure out. I mean, your weekly elevation. I love it. There's there's probably no one around that's um, topping four, five, six, seven thousand metres a week. I tried to hit two, and I think I'm doing all right. So you must, I mean, some of your runs, um, I was looking, you know, 10 or 12 K and you're already hitting over a thousand meters. Like, is it just straight up or like, how, what's the topography around there?
1: So there's a real mix of trails. So you, as you pointed out there, I certainly can get a lot of vert in a relatively short distance by hitting up some of the really steep fire trails on Mount Coetha. There are also then much flatter and more runnable ones as well, but it is sort of hard to get under two to 300 metres per 10K um, running around there, certainly. So in one sense, that's quite lucky. For us, if you want to be training for a mountain race, it actually means that sometimes when training for some of the flatter races around the rest of the country, you sort of have to go searching a little bit more and, say, run along the river and run a bit more on concrete and that. But there are other... Um, no. uh, networks of trails around southeast queensland that you can go to to make it a bit flatter if you really want to or something like the brisbane valley rail trail which is dead flat
0: yeah i was sort of trying to zoom in on on google maps it was really hard to sort of see what uh you know what is it just that climb up to mount cootah is it are you running like a single track are you because there's a road that heads up to a lookout or something is there
1: yeah so there's a ring road that goes around the mountain and then in, within that there's a variety of different trails that most are sort of more of that wider uh, fire trail or walking track, but there is bits of single track in there as well and uh, Various mountain bike or well, shared mountain bike trails, which are then more of the single track
0: Okay. Yeah, and I see you jump on the peddle most times a little always has a 2k warm-up But what's the reason for jumping on, on the bike rather than just uh, run from home?
1: Yeah, well Cause I'm usually got a specific purpose for my run. And so if I am trying to get either a set amount of vert per K or I'm there to do a specific sort of interval session or something that to get to the hill, I want that if I ran from there, then it would just be a really long warm up, warm down. And also I I quite like sort of having that ride for the warm up, warm down that, at the moment body and that is pretty good. But sometimes when there are just those little niggles and that having that sort of 10 minutes on the bike sort of really can help just warm things up as well. Okay. So it's just sort of a habit that I've gotten into for that.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And I guess
1: I also started it. I mean, I started that, Doing that, um, yeah, we're just starting to get into mountain running that well over ten years ago, and it was as much there to save the grip on my shoes. Yeah, okay. I didn't want to be running on the roads in your know, trail shoes.
0: Yeah, yeah, sure. All right, we um, when did you start running, Ben? I, I don't know too much. Um, I mean, I've, I've got some uh, results here going back to 2010, but yeah, when did you start running? Did you were you just straight into the mountains? Did you grow up on the track? Were you running cross country at school or?
1: Yeah, so I started running back in high school, but originally it was just a means of getting fit for other sports like um, rugby and cricket and that. But um, things quickly sort of snowballed as I was, once I started running every day, I realised, one, I kind of liked the running a bit better, and two, I was simply better at it. So that sort of by the end of high school was my real focus. And it was very much then cross-country, track and athletics, very sort of traditional background. But as soon as I finished high school, I'd... um, went straight into the mountain
0: running okay yep yep what uh what do you do for work
1: I'm coaching full-time
0: oh really Been doing wow that for
1: several years now
0: yeah 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 I, I saw that that's mile 27 is that right or is it... yep. yeah yeah okay yeah correct let's head back to um 2010 now um you, you're making the under 20 australian mountain running championships there uh you finished second yeah under 20s um and you won the under 20 uh queensland mountain running championships so pretty much you um pretty successful straight away heading up those mountains. Is there any reason why you were so successful at running mountains?
1: So I'd always preferred sort of hilly courses in cross-country and that over flatter courses and always had just preferred cross-country over track and roads in high school and that. So I guess that's sort of why I was sort of quite attracted to making that step up into the mountain running. I was quite lucky sort of where I grew up and where I was just naturally training, running around home, that I had Mount Coother on my doorstep. And even the suburb I lived in was white hilly i sort of it i only sort of really came to appreciate that um the following year in 2011 when i had um when i made the australian team again but the championships that year were held in brisbane so i'd invited the various um other juniors who'd gone to world championships the year before we were all mates so i said oh well since the champs in brisbane come just stay at my place and so i was thinking it was the day before we went for i took them for what i thought was the flattest run we had that I had around home just a sort of you know easy 3k loop got back and all of them commented like oh That was quite hilly and I was like, oh that's as flat as it gets and this is coming from you know Other people on the Australian mountain running team. So it yeah. sort of dawned at me at that point Okay, I've probably been running more hills than most people without really realizing it So
0: in 2010 in the in the Aussies you were um second in the 20s, but you were sixth in, in 2011 even though it was up that way.
1: Yeah, so you that year i was just coming back from an injury for those championships so it sort of really was yeah i'd only been running for a couple of weeks i can't remember what the injury was now it was too long ago but i was quite underdone going into those championships so i was very lucky to sort of scrape through and still make the team in the end
0: yeah okay so i think it
1: came down to because one of the people in front of me couldn't go
0: okay yeah right yeah right yeah so who was the lad to beat back in those days who was sort of, do, was anyone uh, dominating that, under 20s or?
1: So I remember, not not really, no no one was consistently dominating that. Uh, I remember Jordan Nelson had made, who was a strong steeplechaser and had made the team quite a few times. So he was certainly one
0: to beat. The Worlds in uh, 2010, where were
1: they? They were over in Slovenia. And that was, I mean, I've been to quite a few World Championships since then. And to be honest, that one still stands out as one of the, my favorites. And I, I think obviously there's an element of, you know, it's your first, so it's really memorable and it has such an impactful experience, but it was just really well organized, such a brilliant area, like just so beautiful that that was like, I really would like to go back. And that was really the event that then made me want to get into ultra marathons and that later on that. I remember going up to that mountain, you'd finally look out and sort of see just this whole mountain range. You are know, like, gosh, this is cool running up one, but imagine like getting to explore and run, the whole mountain range, like I want to go further,
0: yeah, yeah, okay. Were you guys like heading over for a while, or was it just fly in? Did the race come home? Was there any sort of like training camps or any climatization, anything like going on over there? Or uh,
1: fly in about a bit, I think it was a bit over a week beforehand, and so you had a week to sort of settle in, yep. check out the course, and that, yep, okay. All right, yeah, 2011, where were the worlds that year? That was in Albania, so that was an interesting, okay, that was an interesting trip
0: yeah tell me why
1: uh i guess just sort of culturally was different to anything i had experienced Mm. uh beforehand uh and so uh, i'd usually been to other i had been to europe a few times but it was all sort of england and germany and austria and that and sort of Slovenia was in quite a small town and then sort of in albania it was um yeah sort of seaside town and that and it was just uh, socioeconomically i think a bit different to some of the places that i visited before and that so that was all sort of part of the experience i mean there was when we we're checking out the course he just had um uh, a donkey out on the course blocking the way and that sort of thing yeah, so okay. yeah yeah it's yeah. pretty cool how
0: many um how many they're normally in those races are they like over 100 or uh yeah about
1: about 100 would be yeah. about the okay. in, the, in that, the juniors yeah
0: yeah and how, how many juniors were there? like in the aussie team where they take three or i think it was up to
1: four juniors and yeah, I'd have to go look at the selection policies now that I don't have the numbers yeah, yeah. of yep. uh, each one in, off any, the top of Any of my those
0: guys still getting around or they moved on?
1: Yeah, well, so one of the um, guys ran with that first year in Slovenia, Benjamin Buckingham. i see seen he's been to the world champs now um, for steeplechase and that. So yep. a few getting around. A uh, couple... Uh, Annabelle and Rosie, they both went off to the States for to do uh college over there, sort of on a scholarship from their running and that. So yeah, and Harriet Smith did the same. So yeah, been been a few.
0: Okay, yeah. And in two thousand eleven this Washpool World Heritage Run that you um that you won. What's that one about?
1: So that's a trail race down sort of northern New South Wales and that just ran the other weekend. So that was then my first uh, race over 10k that as soon as I'd gotten back from uh, Albania that had been okay that was my last sort of official race as a junior. There's like okay I know I want to step up into longer events and trail ultra so I jumped straight into a 25k mm. there and part of the reason I picked that one was simply that i'd already said hey i want to go do ultras and that and so my dad had at that point went well i'm going to get in first and be the first in the family to do an ultra so he was running the
0: 50k at that event so so your dad was, was into running when he was your age or he took it up later or
1: no, so we kind of got a, each other into it that it was, as I said, when I was starting to run in high school, that part of that decision, like, okay, I'm going to just start running every day to get fit. Well, dad had been, his whole adult life had been running, you know, a couple of times a week to just stay generally fit and healthy. And so, because he was doing that, I said, well, hey, how about we both run together in the morning so that, you know, keep each other motivated and that. And so, as I said, it snowboard for me, but it sort of snowballed for him at the same time. And that at first, when we started off, he was he was fit- fitter and faster than me, and so you know the motivation was okay. You got to try and catch dad. And then once you could sort of consistently run with him, okay, we started. Uh, I had to start tacking on extra little loops so that he would have a bit of a um, handicap, and then we'd still have to try and catch him later on. And as I gradually got fitter, as I got older, the the handicaps would gradually extend.
0: Yeah, yeah, unreal, unreal. That's good. Were you doing any road running or have you just always been on the trails?
1: Yeah, so I haven't really done any road running since I was a teenager that while I was in high school and doing the mountain running and that as a junior I was still dabbling in a little bit of road running but Mm. I never really took that as seriously that I'd always enjoyed the cross country and the mountain running more and frankly I was getting injured a lot on the track and road. That was part of the motivation to
0: move more to the trails. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Now, I see this Kokoda Challenge uh, in a couple of years, but uh, that you've done it. So 2012, was that the first year you did it? It's it's down there as a business team, so you're doing it It's um, like a corporate race, is it? Or...
1: Yeah, so the reason I was down as a business team was simply that, so it's a team event, so you run in a team of four doing 96Ks, like the distance of the actual Kokoda track, and so... The reason that was simply in a business team was that a mate had managed basically to get his employer to fund the team because you have to raise a bit of money for, for their charity, okay. and so he'd, uh, his uh company had said, okay, we'll fund the the team. So that made us a business team, and so it was doing them. And so that was at my first yeah hundred well. It's, 90, it's called 96K, although everyone measures it over 100K. So I call it my first 100K. Yeah. And that was a really cool experience. I think I was kind of quite lucky that had that team environment that I'd attempted 100K before that and dnf because I was 19 and my, my ego just had me going out way too hard. So having to be reeled back in with that team was actually really good that it made me pace a lot more sensible. And you've just got you, – they're encouraging each other that I'm still good mates with those guys. And that it was, yeah, such a great experience as you would just be uh, pushing each other along and having to, you know, sort of always monitor who's feeling strong, who's, you know, tiring a little bit more and then trying to make sure that you never push over anyone over the edge.
0: Okay, so that's a fairly professional annual run that's still going or?
1: Yeah, yeah, still going every okay. year. And yeah, quite yep. a quite a big event.
0: Right, yeah, and teams it's from all around the world. It's f- predominantly
1: hikers um there are usually only a handful of teams that are running it per se right but uh yeah so it is quite a large event and there are also school um school teams which it it blows my mind like they they do half the distance they do 50k but you know we we pass them at the end and they're they're still running in that and I just kind of look at them and it's like gosh I could not do what you're doing right now at your age.
0: Yeah 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 and it's all self um you know supportive you got to carry all your own stuff and
1: uh there are checkpoints where you can see crew in that along the way.
0: Okay yeah yeah and weather can be atrocious like yes, torrential I rain mean... and humidity and you know, I can imagine mud and is it is it everything I mean some years obviously be different to others but it must be tough.
1: Yeah, some years it can be quite pleasant. I've done the other years where, yeah, it was super muddy and you were slipping around quite a lot, and that's just
0: part of the challenge. Yeah, yeah. And it's always the same point-to-point? Point. You know, yeah, You don't reverse yeah. or anything like that?
1: There, there's a set route, obviously, If yeah. there, but, you know, it's trail. so if uh, there are bits of the trails that are closed for whatever reason, there might be changes some years.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. And what's that elevation you're sort of totalling in that 96. 96- about five thousand. wow yeah yeah oh you'd love that mate kidding a lolly shop for you (laughs) yeah like it's
1: a really it's a really cool course Mm -hmm. i mean i kind of if they did a solo version i'd be really interested to sort of have a good crack at it because it is yeah quite a fun course
0: yeah so team of four it's the rules are that the four have got to finish to get a finishing time is that the way it works or
1: three of the four have to finish and you'll you'll have to run together the whole way so yeah the fact that one person allowed to drop out is just to kind of accepting that uh it's to it if you wanted to like really officially Win and uh, or set records and that then I think it does need to be all four but um, As far as just being allowed to continue as long as you've
0: got three. All right. Yeah, okay, cool All right, well, while we're chatting about it uh, I'll just see here the following year 13 you guys won it Um, Pretty much covered it an hour or 20 quicker than you did in 2012. So let's chat about that one
1: Yeah, so that was with the different team. That was sort of that was very much our goal that year. Was we were putting together a team of local runners with the
0: intent to win it. Yeah. The that was was twelve hours, twenty four, just for the listeners, so they know. Yeah.
1: Yeah, the couple of years beforehand, um, some teams had been coming up from down south and winning it, and so we sort of thought, right, it's time to uh, bring this back into Queensland hands. And so yeah, that was and that was an awesome. Experience because we we really did focus on it, and so all four of us we would do training runs on the course and that in the lead up together, and we we're all good mates, and so it was that one was really fun, and I really enjoyed sort of the camaraderie and yeah that build up of all working together towards it.
0: Yeah yeah okay. So that was the last time you did it.
1: Uh, we attempted it again the following year, but. Um, one of our yeah one of our team members uh was having yeah some medical issues on the day and so although you can uh as i said you're allowed to finish with three if you actually then want to win it officially in that then you need all four so we decided to call it i think about 60k in
0: yeah 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 okay right here i'm just looking at the results of 2013 there's lots of uh boxes of chocolates which were that year lots of first places so i'll just quickly run through them and um what what I'll do is I'll get you to talk about any of these races that are um that are more memorable or um you know hold something special to you more than others. But um so Hares and Hounds, fifty five K, first solo runner in four hours twenty. Where's that one? Never heard of that one.
1: Uh that's just a local event over at the Glasshouse Mountains. Okay. One of, like a lot of those races around there, it's sort of just on the fire trails rather than around the mountains, rather than actually going up and down the mountains. Okay. That was just sort of kick off, kicking off the year.
0: Yeah, yep. Mount Glorious 24K trial race. You won that an hour 42.
1: Yeah, that's another local um, event that's relatively iconic by lo- local sort of standards. Just a fun mountain course.
0: Yep. Course record at the Narang State Forest 50K, 4 hours 12, you won that one.
1: Yeah, I mean, well, back in the day, that was, yeah, the Narang 50K, and now they've got a 500-kilometre version of it, so Jesus.
0: 50K is soft. <laughs> <laughs> oh, geez, they do that, don't they? Yeah, okay. Pitying Classic, 18K. You won that again in a course record.
1: Yeah, so that was again one of my early trial races that I had just after I'd made that first mountain running team was the first time I ran Pinnacles and then yeah, that was the second time running it. That was done with that Kokoda team that we were all um we we were all there together, but obviously we weren't running together, we we're sort of pushing each other in as much a time trial as anything to see where everyone was at. TNF one hundred,
0: that was your first one, two thousand thirteen?
1: Yeah, that was, well, that was my first finish. I DNF'd it there the year beforehand. Okay, yeah. And so this, that was a, a big moment for me. That was my first solo 100K. Yeah. And that was really sort of redemption that after that DNF at um, TNF 100 the year before, I'd really sort of focused on, yeah, on, on redemption that following year. And that I'd changed a lot that I made every sort of error in the book. I was self coaching and everything. And that was, yeah, that was I'd, at the end of 20 twelve started working with my coach Andy Dubois, who's also mile twenty seven. And yeah, and so that had been a real big focus.
0: Yep. Yep. Ten hours eighteen. So talk about some of those mistakes. What are the things you would learned that you were doing wrong or what are the things you start to change in training? Um was it nutrition? Was it the type of training you're doing? Volume? Talk about it. All of it.
1: Um I, I had no so I'd stepped up from the the mountain running sort of that short focus so i'd gone straight from 8k to 100k mm. and so i was just focusing on nothing but volume it was all just you know sort of two, two hourish sort of uh moderate runs on mount Cutha, just focusing on volume and i had no nutrition hydration plan i would just kind of look at You know, you you just were guided by ads rather than a plan. That there's, you know, you'd see, oh, this product looks great. I guess I'll eat that. Yeah. And beyond that, you had I had no plan. You just were, yeah, had no idea how much to drink, what the right gear to use, and yeah, so or and had zero idea how to pace a race. Yeah,
0: yeah. So were you sort of bonking, or was it you getting nauseous, or
1: uh, all of the above. It was as much just a, sort of an extreme fatigue that mm. I was. By the time I DNF'd, I was dehydrated. I was hypoglycemic, I was stumbling around. Like I put in a. Mm. I think by the time I had stopped, I'd done a 45-minute K downhill, sort of going down Kadumba. So mm. it was uh, not pretty. And yeah, a friend who's a nurse sort of found me. It was like, yeah, you are not in a good way.
0: So that would have been. Where do they do that? They do that around uh, May, don't they? Was the TNF still in May, like the UTA is now? Yeah. Okay. So the the,
1: weekend hasn't changed.
0: Yeah, right, yeah. Surf Coast Century 100, you know, you won that. So what month was that? What was the time difference between those two?
1: That was in September.
0: Okay. So, yeah,
1: yeah, Yeah. had had a fair bit of time between them. And so, yeah, that was sort of the first solo 100K win. So that was kind of a big sort of milestone Mm. for me that that was kind of showed, okay, like, um, the run at... Uh, TNF 100 showed me that that I can uh, finish solo 100k and I guess that Winned Surf Coast Century sort of showed me. Okay, I can be competitive at this as well mm. And especially knowing that it was a flatter flatter course, which didn't necessarily suit my strengths quite as well.
0: Yep. Yep. Yep Did you have someone uh, around you or were you just pretty much out on your own or I had that day on file.
1: I was never sort of spent too long running with someone so the first half Rowan Walker was the uh, defending champion so he, and he's, for those of you guys who don't know him, he's a this, uh, very strong marathon runner. I think he was the Australian marathon champion in some years, and I think he's won the Melbourne marathon. Yep. So he's just got that strong road background, and he had won the Surfco Century, I think, the year beforehand. And so he l- was leading for the first half, and then it was in the second half that I started to reel him in and eventually
0: passed him. Okay, yep. And what was the finishing difference? I can't remember if he even did finish. I think he okay. was
1: having a bit of a rough day.
0: So with these 100Ks, I mean, what, what was your philosophy with with your training? Were you Were you thinking about elevation? Were you thinking volume? Were you thinking both? Like, what were you thinking at this stage in in your career? Like, so
1: at that stage, I was working with Andy, and so I had a coach. that so there was a lot more guided training than it was a lot more Getting a lot more specific, and so yes, we would tailor the vert according to the race that I'm preparing for. Um, there would and always there's always then being a good blend there of your long runs, speed sessions, hill sessions, and uh, always been an emphasis on strength work as well.
0: Yeah, yeah, strength work as in in the gym. Uh,
1: I mean, a lot of it is primarily body weight exercises and okay. focusing more on. Um, Muscular endurance or more dynamic and plyometrics yep. rather than trying to load up and uh, improve your one rep max. Yep. But um, yep. yeah.
0: No, it's just uh, when you say strength, just make sure you didn't mean just running up and down stairs or hills You actually mean in the gym doing, yeah, like isolated yep. one day stuff. I do mean, yes,
1: yeah. Yeah, doing uh, more specific, yeah, yep. traditional strength work in yep. that
0: sense. And you've continued that on since then? You're still doing that today?
1: Yeah, yeah, I still am in the gym twice a week, yeah. every week, basically.
0: Yeah, yeah, oh, excellent. All right, let's move on to 14. Um, There's a bit there. Well, let's go TNF. Um, 100, you've picked up a couple of places. Um, there, you finished fourth. Uh, no, no, fifth in 956.
1: Yeah, so I was, that was trying to, you know, improve upon the fir- that first year. And that was a really eye-opening um, experience, that race, because I remember I had really focused on i wanted to get to the to queen vic so that, that was yeah so that was the first time it was uta and the first time they went with the new and current course and so i really wanted to get to queen vic still feeling strong and good and then mm. my plan was see what happens in those final 22 and that's exactly what it did like i got to queen vic and i was still feeling quite strong and everyone sort of commented oh you look the best um you know, of anyone in the top 10 coming through that final checkpoint. Obviously you could get down Kadamba, you know, running downhill, still had nothing legs there, but then at bottom Jamison, I just absolutely cracked that somehow in that. Yeah. I know. I don't think it was so much just that I'd beaten up my legs with that descent that I just yeah, physically mentally just suddenly was like, wow, I've just got nothing. And was just a lot of, uh, okay. A lot of that climb up, um, you know, most people are going to be hiking it. Mm. If you want to be winning the men's, you should be basically running all of it. Mm. Um. So I, but I was hiking, yeah, the vast majority of that and not having a good time at all. That when you pass that sort of 90 K sort of mini station, you're almost considering, do I pull out here? Yeah. You're like, no, I've come this far. But what was really interesting to me was that, okay, I was feeling that horrible. And then about, four K to go. So by the time you've passed Lura Cascades and on your way towards, yeah, a bit bit past Lura Cascades, um, six came up behind me and was about to pass me. And then just something suddenly clicked in Mm. my brain. And it was just like, I am not going to let them pass. And I think I remember they had put out some extra timing mats and I had the fastest split of the day for those final five K that I just suddenly went from feeling so awful to, to, having this really strong finish and re- going really well up Ferber yeah. and they just sort of really showed me how much of this is a mental game yeah. that although yes obviously there is a physical basis for fatigue that ultimately it is that perception of fatigue that is the limiting factor and it really first off emphasized to me then the importance of mentally preparing for the whole run and all the different things that can possibly go wrong and then in the races themselves trying to manage that mental state that keeping that positive outlook and that and managing these sort of issues is uh, it, it, it can sort of sound airy-fairy if you're not used to it but it really does determine performance
0: yeah it's uh it's why I always call the you know the, the art of racing and like you see it all the time even, even in fun runs um, whatever it might be or, or a marathon and you um and you see people 2k out when there's no one around their loved ones and crowd aren't there and they're struggling to get one foot in front of another they come around the corner they see the finishing line someone starts cheering and they're suddenly doing a three minute k into the finishing shoot and um again it just heightens straight away that that mental approach that um uh you know how much we can um be more fatigued we will we we percept, uh, perceive perceive we're a lot more fatigued than what we really are so it's 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 reminding yourself that hey there's a lot more in there and um it's 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 uh, easier said than done but yeah like you said yeah mental you know they like say ten percent physical ninety percent mental so and I want to I want to talk further about that more when I start um talking about your at your coaching but um yeah clearly um to be racing at that level that you're at well pretty much for anyone who actually runs um yeah trying to tap into that is is such an important aspect now looking at the aussie mountain running championships just looking here what 12 and 13 there's no results down there Have i missed them or is there something going on those years you didn't make the team or
1: i didn't run the championships those years the first two years as a senior
0: yeah Yeah. i didn't i was focusing on the longer stuff okay so in 14 you finished third at the aussies where were that where were they in 14
1: that was down in Canberra, Mount Tennant, which was also the same oh, yeah. uh, place where I did it that first year in 2010. Yeah, yeah, but yeah. obviously now doing the senior, so doing the longer course. And that was, yeah, to sort of see um, where was, how was my speed and that on this shorter stuff. Had I lost um, much or had I, what had I gained by these few years focusing on ultras and that. And so, yeah, that was really yeah fun and good to sort of see that I could Um, mix it up in those different distances and I've since then kind of always really enjoyed dabbling in a variety of distances that it's one of those things that if I'm only focusing on the ultras and don't do any shorter races whatsoever sometimes I, I love the grind of ultras but sometimes it's if that's all that it is is all the grind like sometimes i need that sort of shorter sharper sort of i just want to see how hard i can go and really push it yeah and so then having those injections those shorter races but at the same time if i only focused on those and it's just so shorter sharper after a while it's like no i just want to go out and have like a big adventure sort of thing and need to then have those ultras so i think that variety really helps me yep
0: yeah, yep yeah. Do you ever um try to see how quick you can run on the flats as well, like just see how, how well you cover the ground over five k or ten k? Um or is it always just about um, you know running the trails and the mountains?
1: Uh, it's it is very much just about the mountains that yeah. I haven't been too tempted to have a proper crack at a flat five, ten or marathon or anything. I think as much. I mean I definitely still work on my flat speed and that's something I've been really focusing on in the build up to the last couple of years, particularly building up to something like six foot in that. Cause I know that it's, that's my weakness, but I'm actually not that interested in seeing what I could do over five or 10 K simply. Cause I know that whatever I do isn't, would not really be indicative of what I'm capable of. Like if I wanted to say a common question, I get sort of like, Oh, you know, if you're going to have a good crack at a marathon, sort of go, well, no, because I know I'd need at least a few years to sort of really dedicate to it, to get close to my, potential. Yeah. And in an uh, event where it is so much about that time, like, you know, you're a you know, a two eighteen guy. That's that defines you. That have the shaving off that minute suddenly is such a big deal that I think that sort of would mess with my head that I'd want to really actually do as well as I possibly can. And I know that a twelve week build up isn't going to do that.
0: And I guess that's where I was sort of um heading um, with that question before was um, not necessarily you know how, how um, like racing a 5 or 10 K it'd be more about do you, do you look at being fast on, on the flat stuff in training as a and how that crosses over to be running more efficient um, overall as a mountain running because I guess I think if I want to run or oh, it's fine if I want to run quick, quick on the flats uh, the more hills and elevation I run it seems to cross over to be to run fast on the flat like um, you know r- running fast on the flat is you know is strength and and all the rest of it so I just thought maybe um, you still look at, at moving fast on the flat stuff just to keep that high-end uh, leg turnover fitness and all the rest of that so that will cross over to, to when you're actually running up the up the mountains
1: yeah definitely so I definitely do still focus on working on my flat speed and that and so that's something we monitor you know we measure progress in training mm. not necessarily through distinct time trials and that but yep. more Um, Yeah, through the sessions and that you're doing and comparing historically to your other sessions. But I definitely agree that, yes, there is a fair bit of crossover. And also, even when you are doing these super mountainous races, there's still usually... A flat section, unless you're doing a VK, mm. you, you know, if you in any ultra, something like Ultra Trail Australia is a great example that it. it will expose any weakness you have because it's got a mix of these really flat, runnable sections of these hills, of these stairs, and so you need to be able to do it all.
0: Mm. Yeah, yeah, that's right. 2014, the world mount running again. Um, where'd you go that year?
1: Uh, so that year, 2014 was the year I did. Three world different world championships, I think. So there was the the Sky Running World Championships, which I did the ultra marathon.
0: Yeah.
1: Um, that was in Chamonix. So that was the Mont Blanc 90k. Um. Back then, they called it the Mont Blanc 80k, and they haven't changed the course at all, but now they accept that it's actually 90k. Oh, really?
0: Wow. (laughs) Just just a little 10k difference. Yeah.
1: Yeah, it's one of those things you're there, you sort of, (laughs) you know, you're looking at your watch, and you're sort of like, hmm, this is going to be longer than 80k. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, I I sort of knew enough of the course that I wasn't looking at the distance on the watch too much because, you know, not to trust tech. And then there was also the, World Long Distance Mountain Running Championships, which was the Pike Peak Ascent.
0: Oh, okay. Um, Over in the States uh, there, isn't it?
1: Yeah, yeah. yeah so yeah, okay. that was, I kind of, I, I really wish it was the full marathon, doing up and down, because yeah, yeah. oh, running down that bar trail would have been so fun. Yeah. But yeah, it was just the the half marathon going uphill, mm. and the altitude of that really kicked me around. Uh, sort of in hindsight, learned that, yeah, I, I definitely should have been there for weeks beforehand, acclimating, yeah. because I was not, in a good way in those final yeah. few days. Yeah, definitely. And then there was the short course mountain running championships over in Italy, which was, yeah, around in Tuscany. So that was also
0: yeah. A cool yeah. experience for the team. And you picked up bronze at, uh, at that 80K Mont Blanc, the Sky Running World Champs. That's pretty cool.
1: Yeah, that was a uh, amazing day. So that was the f- my sort of my next ultra after UTA. So I was sort of able to really apply those lessons learnt mm. from that to it. And, yeah, like it was sort of one of those days, like I look back on that so fondly because it's one of those f- few races where you just vastly exceed all expectations, but it feels so good that mm. up to that point, my previous results at World Championships had been sort of in the 30s. So that was what I was kind of roughly ballpark fit, looking at. But then, you know, once I got over there and saw the mountains and some of the course, and I was like, gosh, I just want to sort of experience this and finish it as much as anything and it was only sort of halfway that you sort of suddenly found out like, oh, eh, you're in uh, the top 10 now. And you're sort of like, oh. At first, actually, when I heard that, I assumed that the people at the aid station just didn't speak English properly. That it wasn't until I finally saw um, some people that I know and they were telling me, you know, you're in fourth. And you're like, okay, you speak English. I, I actually can trust that one.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Are you wearing, using sticks in these races or you don't need them or?
1: No, I wasn't using poles okay. in that race. I've only, yeah, used poles in VKs where I definitely think they're really helpful in a vertical kilometer and most cor- vertical yeah. kilometer courses. Yeah. I did use them one year at TDS. I-, I DNFed that year. That wasn't due to the poles at all, but I sort of. I do so much hiking without poles. On that, I sort of really question whether I do actually get much of an advantage out of it, that i sort of often find myself just wanting to put them away yeah 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 but in something like a vk where it is just okay you're at a usually greater than 20 um percent gradient the whole way and you yeah. know kind of bits up to sort of 60 percent and that that on that sort of train it is constant there's no flatter bits there's no downhills that in yeah. that case you know yeah. then i really do appreciate them
0: you've obviously um practiced using them because it's a bit of an art to use those things isn't it because sometimes if you don't know what you're doing with them, then they just get in the way.
1: Definitely, that I see a lot of people who, yeah, when you see them using it, it's like you're not getting any benefit yeah, out of that. Yeah. People might sometimes still, interestingly, that doesn't necessarily <laughs> correlate with how their perception of it. And I think uh, this might sound harsh, but it's I think sometimes it's because because it slows them down and they just go easier and they go, oh, it felt easier and it's like, yeah, because you were going slower. Yeah.
0: <laughs> like yeah. that's why. Yeah.
1: Um. Yeah. But. In general, yeah, you need to, you definitely need to practice with them. You can really tell the difference when you're over in Europe and you can see people who've spent their whole life cross country skiing yeah, and that, yeah. and it's just so efficient with them. And then you see people over here and it's sort of like, yeah, you're not getting nearly as much out of them yeah. that you really need to put in um, the hours with them to get good.
0: Who won that year in the, in the Mont Blanc sky running?
1: Uh, Luis Alberto Hernando won that year. That sort of kick started his. Um, dominance that it was after that that he was winning every World Trail Champs and World Skyrunning Champs for a few years there. Mm. And Francois
0: Dane was second. Okay. Would you ever consider going over there for that uh, UTMB race?
1: Definitely. That's a big goal of mine. Okay. And sort of. It. I remember when I started work with Andy back in 2012. That was sort of the okay. This is the long term project. Mm. So, I don't know. Tentatively, maybe. I mean, I'm planning to run my um, first hundred miler at the Brusson Trail Ultra this year if that goes well and i'm not completely put off the concept of running 100 milers after that maybe maybe next year um but we'll see
0: is that because of the um i mean obviously it's such a, a huge race um but what is it for the depth of competition that you know you're going to get or is it the distance uh, or it's just def- beautiful country
1: definitely, or? yeah there's def- a bit of all of those things that it's the atmosphere it's the course and yeah of course it's kind of the jewel in the crown of trail running the it's so such a competitive field that i always want to go test myself against the best and that's where the best go
0: yeah yeah no it's great it's always good to watch that one 2015 plenty of wins and and plenty of course records uh the sky rock and run marathon 42 k's where's the rock and run
1: so that was uh, over in New Zealand. So okay. that was, uh, I think it's now changed names when it changed owners to the Mount Oxford Odyssey. So that was a really cool course. So that was 42K with about 3K or something of that, but it was very hilly mm. and just really, yeah, really fun course.
0: Yep, yep. Are there any sort of um, competitors that you're, you're seeing, you're tying the line with on a regular basis or there's always just different faces there? Like any sort of good rivalries around there, especially across the ditch or anything like that you can chat about?
1: Yeah, so it depends on the distance. that Because as I say, because I kind of dabble in those different distances, that it depends on the on the type of race that I am doing. So over in New Zealand, actually, I quite love the Kaurau, King of the Mountain which is a sister race of the Pomona King of the Mountain over here in Southeast Queensland. And so that's just an just quote unquote eight K course with about 800, bit over 800 meters of vert. And it's just such a fun race that it's uh, super steep sort of loose sort of volcanic dirt. And so on the way up, you can sort of, if you you know, you can be sort of one foot forward and slide back sort of thing if you're not really watching your foot placement. But then on the way back down, just so much fun. It's almost like skiing down snow in places where it's just this thick mm. dirt and you come around a sharp corner and just whoosh, up it goes. You're jumping off these ledges into it. Um, yeah, so it's just an insanely fun course. And so there are quite a few sort of strong local runners over there who would always be, yeah, battling it out. Uh, Shay Williams was in particular one. He's got the course record there. Um, he he was one who yeah for a few years we were always sort of duking it out. So that was a lot of fun. Shores Corporal and yeah there were quite a few good runners over there for that race. Mm. Um, locally, Mark Bourne was also a big one. So you also might have heard of him because he's a several times he's been the stair running world champion. Um, and so, yeah, in sort of short uh, mountain races around here in Australia, he was always one that, um, yeah, it was always fun sort of going head-to-head with him. He also has done the Pomona and Carrarao races a few times, so racing him at those as well. But then in sort of the longer stuff is like, well, it depends on the sort of terrain that we're on. It's something like UTA. Uh, obviously, someone like Brendan Davies is a um, someone who really look up to and who uh back in 20 uh what was it 18 was the last time he did it where yeah he was he won it se- seven minutes ahead of me that yeah it was that was a really fun race where from halfway on it was just every report i got he's seven minutes ahead he's seven minutes ahead he's mm-hmm. seven minutes ahead And yep.
0: so yeah 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 and then he's probably getting the reports to He's seven minutes behind he's not pulling you in he's not pulling you in all I, right yeah I, I remember i'm Maybe I didn't race at you, or maybe I did, and you guys, yeah, probably still out there. But yeah, I remember listening to that commentary where we were sort of uh, curious to see who was going to come up those stairs first. But uh, yeah, it, it was a good one. That was. Um... Well, it's always the
1: hard thing when you're in front, though, because you, you're always getting very delayed information that okay. at least when you're coming from behind, you, someone can, you know, at the aid station can have, okay, seen when they come through seven, okay, boom, they can tell you exactly. Whereas when you're coming into the aid station and you're the one in front, you, you can only be told what the gap was at the previous aid station so you go oh gosh have they made up any time since then
0: yeah, so yeah,
1: it can be a little bit more stressful when you're the hunted rather than the hunter
0: um, Looking at around 15, 16, 17 there's lots of uh, VK you're doing a lot of those was that part of a, uh, a series that you are doing
1: I was meant to be doing longer races, but got injured. So I, by the time I'd already paid to be flying over to Europe and all the accommodation, I was like, well, I may as well do something while I'm over there. And the good thing about a VK is that you can sort of really, um, you can cross-train really well for them because it is so low impact, because it is so steep uphill. Yep. And so doing a lot of cycling and elliptical and strength work and that for those. So even though I was not running a lot in the build up to that could still you know be prepared enough to do the
0: race and they can uh, i imagine that they can vary so much between like basically you just feel like you're climbing bowls and rocks rather than getting any sort of free movement as a runner
1: yeah so the courses can vary a lot just as with any sort of trail race that some of them are A lot more technical than others, where it is a bit more scrambly, as you sort of hinted at, whereas others it is more just going straight up a ski field.
0: Ah, right. And how close do they have to get to that K? Like, can they be a couple hundred meters over, or?
1: Yeah, some are, you know, plus or minus, sort of usually. 50 meters okay. usually more likely to be plus because you know it's one of those things where it's like if it's called 100k and it was 99k people yeah. are upset but if it's 101 people aren't upset
0: yeah 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 well a vk you got it i mean it, surely you want to run your thousand meters yeah exactly
1: altitude? yeah <laughs> exactly but yeah so some of them are slightly slightly long but they're generally pretty good because it's one of those things you can just sort of shift the start line up or down the mountain a bit accordingly yeah move the finish some of the finish lines obviously if it's at like a summit at a mountain top then uh that's a fairly set location but again a lot of them will also just kind of finish 100 meters away from the summit sort of thing so that it is basically bang on a thousand yep. meters
0: yeah yeah you mentioned they're second behind Brandon in 18 in the uh, uta what about 16 you finished second there in nine hours 39 um yep. so what's that 15 minutes difference who, who got you that day
1: uh that was Paul Capel. So okay. that was sort of when he was just sort of getting that that was kind of really his breakthrough year actually, I think that when he started posting wins all around yeah. the world he and did obviously dominate he's after now that, being, didn't he? Yeah. Yeah, basically. So that was that was cool. But yeah, he's a great guy that yeah, when I did the skyrunning world champs that year, they were over in Spain and so I stayed with him for a week and we trained together and that. So that was really fun.
0: Now, I want to think, with the UTA 100, what, uh, are you actually doing it this year? Or... Yep. You're yep. doing the 100, UTA, yeah, right, 100. yeah, okay. Yep. So, so how many are you up to now? Uh,
1: what am I up to? I think this will be my sixth start, aiming for my fifth finish.
0: Right, think. yeah, sixth start, fifth finish, yeah. So that DNF, that was the first one, wasn't it?
1: Yeah, that was the first one back in 20. Mm-hmm.
0: Um, Twelve. So a couple of seconds there. Clearly looking um, not to be bridesmaid anymore. What uh, obviously you know you, you must know that course so well now. But um, what, what what have you learned over those years? Like what what are you gonna what are you doing differently this year? Um, is it anything different in, in nutrition or something you've sort of tweaked a little bit in your training? Or what do you feel you need to do? Um, you never know obviously who's going to be there. You can only do your best on the day. But what do you feel you need to do more to be able to win that race?
1: Yes, yeah, so as you hinted at one since um, you know, you've know got to really focus on yourself rather than the competition because if you know a better athlete turns up on the day, then so be it. So you're really focusing on just executing the best race possible. So a few things that obviously just generally having put in nine years of solid training since I first attempted it, um, just generally building up that strength and fitness. But a big emphasis has been, it was sort of discussed, that the mountains and usually be more of my focus than that. So often the stairs and that have been my strength um and it's been the flatter stuff particularly in the first half has been a bit of a weakness as we sort of said at 2018 that was brendan put in that gap in the first half um which is a bit flatter more runnable which suits his strengths a bit more and then just held steady after that and so i have sort of been trying to focus on that sort of flatter speed that we chatted about earlier and that was why so six foot this year that was really a part of that that oh, it's a flatter more runnable course and so it was there to sp- serve as you know a measuring stick to see how it i go on and also as a motivator for all that um more runnable training to try and uh yeah motivate me to keep going at it because it's usually not what i enjoy as much yep uh so focusing on that in sort of terms of training and then really dialing in nutrition hydration that uh i've actually yeah collapsed in several races over the years and so it's taken a few years of sort of doing a lot of uh various testing that i've been working with, uh, Steph Gaskell down at Monash uh, University quite closely. And we've sort of been sort of really getting to the bottom of what's going on. And I think we've sort of sorted that out now. And so really dialing in that nutrition, uh, hydration. Uh, and so hopefully that is also now going to also pay dividends and help with sort of getting those final few percent out.
0: So, with that nutrition, um, was it more about how many grams you're taking in per hour, or was it the actual type of product? You're finding something that sits in your stomach more? Was it mixing the products with liquids?
1: So, I'm still using, so I guess as a shameless sponsor plug, I work with Infinite Nutrition Australia. And so they do customized formulas for anyone. Yeah. So that really helps for dialing and tweaking and experimenting that yeah. we can do what we want, that rather than having, you know, yeah. three products to choose from, you have infinite yep. to choose from yep. that's really helped so I'm still focusing on purely liquids because I find that's all that sort of sits well that may if I try and put into something more complex like solids and that that no my I'm working too hard and the my gut won't tolerate that so it is just basically sugar salt and water but it's yep. getting that right sort of solution so the types yep. yeah get the types of carbohydrates and a big one has also been looking at those fluid needs and sodium needs that yep. Founding out that okay, I have a very high sweat rate, which sort of just comes from spending your know, probably from basically spending a lifetime of heat acclimation living and training in the tropics. Yeah. And then also though a very high sodium concentration in that uh, sweat. And so yeah, just trying to make sure that we're meeting those needs that that's probably yeah, why I was probably not yeah, taking in enough there and so that was why I would just be accumulating these large deficits that by the time you are sort of several hours in would be having
0: issues and you did a you did a test for that to find out how much sodium you're losing
1: Yeah, so I did a sweat test and I've done uh, various other gastrointestinal uh, analysis down there that they yeah put you on a treadmill for three hours probe you with everything and really look at what's going on
0: so was it more um, running low in energy or were you actually having GI issues
1: a uh, combination of different things that, mm. uh, with genuine collapse and it seems like possibly hyponatremia was a factor in those, although because we never actually had a blood test mm. after a point of collapse, it's uh, kind of speculative and looking at sort of the other data there. So that was often uh, a factor of just general like dizziness and feeling faint and extremely sort of low on energy. But then also there have been some indications in those various tests of... Uh, Gut digestion sort of slowing down, and so basically, even though you're putting stuff in, you're just not absorbing it any longer. Mm, yep. And so that was then, yeah, other problem to address.
0: And in doing so, have you basically been training on on that solution that actually has more in it, or are you actually dialing back how much you put in towards the tail end of the race when you can't absorb so many grams? Or,
1: uh, so yeah, so having practiced. So gut training, very important sort of factor of have also dialed up slightly the amount of carbs that I'm taking in. So been practicing that uh, on almost long training runs. And then, yeah, but also having now dialed up that amount and hopefully gotten the gut to the point that it can tolerate that bit more. If it's starting to have issues with absorption, then there is more of a safety net to dial it down later on in a race if needed.
0: Yep. Fantastic. Uh, 2018, you picked up the um, Australian Mountain Running Championships. Um, that was when it was down in Tosie, wasn't it?
1: Yeah, that was a really great course going up Mount Wellington. I really mm, enjoyed that's right, that yeah. one. It was also, yeah, it was um, kind of hectic weather at the
0: top, and yeah, it was yeah, raining
1: yeah. and windy, and so you're sort of getting blown off the mountain. Yeah. And so... Yeah, it was kind of – you've won your first Australian title and you you sort of just sprinting straight past the finish line into yeah. sort of shelter to try and, like, get warm clothes on.
0: Yeah, yeah, I remember seeing the camera and the photos, yeah. So what that was 12K, was it, or 8? What was the distance on about that? Ten,
1: about 10K, so it will yeah. vary a little bit each year. But, yeah, the official distance now for those races is around 10K.
0: And how did that unfold? Was uh, like Where would you get away, or were you out front from the go, or how did it go?
1: Uh, no, I definitely wasn't out the front from the go. That it was, I was back around, I might even been outside the top 10 sort of at the start. The people tend to start off really enthusiastically.
0: How flat and, is it
1: before you hit up the hill? Yeah, there was only a short stretch of flat. So was, I think from memory, there's only maybe 100 meters or so sort oh, of okay. flat yeah, before right. you start the climb. Yeah. And it did start off with a bit of a steeper pitch. And so I just kind of backed myself, like, okay, people are going to burn themselves out on that first steeper pitch and so as soon as it then leveled out after you know a k or so into the race that was when you could tell sort of people had burnt uh too many matches early on because although from the field and those people around me i probably was would have been one of the slowest over you know a flat 5 10k that was when it leveled out was when i started actually passing people because my legs were still fresh and they'd uh probably cooked themselves a little bit
0: Mm. 19, you've won it again, mate. Where was 19?
1: That was Brisbane. That was, okay. yeah, it's the same course as uh, in 2011. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, a little bit longer. So that was really nice to sort of do it uh, locally.
0: Uh, 2020, Tower Weir 50k. Is that your first time over there for the Tower Weir race? Or?
1: Yeah, that was my first time running over at Tower Weir. And it was actually quite a last minute uh, decision. that, And I'm quite glad I did it because I. Um, yeah, that was my last race for a while, thanks to COVID. Um, yeah, it was a funny I remember sort of flying over was just as like, you know, you're starting to hear things about, you know, stuff going on overseas. And there was an old lady got a bit airsick on our flight. And, you know, so when we land, doctor had to come on to check that, you know, it was just airsick. She wasn't, you know, didn't have covid symptoms and yeah. that and at the time you're kind of like oh this is a bit overkill yeah <laughs> and then this is yeah, february or later, yeah that's february yeah, last yeah. year so yeah yeah and yeah. things changed very rapidly
0: yeah i'm hoping we can get out of it one of these days <laughs> you guys have just done a lockdown up there haven't you yeah.
1: yeah yeah so that was um yeah over the last yeah last week and so as I said, I'm now planning to, yes, yeah, so I'm planning to run the Buffalo Stampede next weekend. So mm. as soon as things down lifted, Victoria declared us an orange zone rather than a red zone. So, okay, I was allowed in, could book book flights, get yep. my travel permit and all that. And now just crossing fingers that we don't have another spike in the next week because that could uh, yeah. change all those plans really quickly. But that's just kind of, yeah, that's the world we live in at the moment that you need to be extremely adaptable.
0: You've ran Buffalo before?
1: Yes, but I DNF'd it twice, so it's kind of a oh, monkey wow. I want to get off yeah. of
0: Any big hitters on the list that you're going to be up against? Do you know? Have you looked at the start list or...?
1: I haven't actually looked at the start list, and I usually don't look at start list because I want to just focus on my own race. That Mm. you know, I'm trying to there, I'm there to control the controllables, Mm. and particularly in these sort of races, I don't think yeah, who's in it is going to change what you're doing particularly much. Sometimes in shorter races, it might sort of tweak your tactics a little bit, but in these ultras, it really is just about okay, I'm focusing on me and executing the best race possible for me.
0: I guess down the mountains too, the weather can change, so you never know what you're going to get. Down there either
1: exactly like th- that's the reality of racing in in mountains is yeah. that uh, the course can be changed halfway through the race you need to again just be adaptable
0: so what, what's the time for roughly for 75k down there how many hours are you gonna be out there for
1: uh, I think the elite men are usually running around I think Dakota Jones's course record from that first year in 2014 was f- seven seven high seven okay. high something but usually it's i don't think anyone else has gone under eight down there and i think the course there is yeah the course has definitely now changed slightly and i think it's a few k's longer than what we were running back in 2014
0: okay yeah there must be a few thousand meters of elevation in that one
1: uh yeah four thousand six hundred and something
0: wow what how many do they normally get to do the 75 like 40 or 50 or more or
1: it's relatively popular, so I think okay. that they do get a couple of hundred. But wow. yeah. Yeah, I'm not I'm not sure what the numbers are gonna be like this year with uh COVID. I hope it's well supported, but yeah, we'll see.
0: have, have to be one of the hundred and seventy five Ks around, wouldn't it? I mean, that's just brutal that course.
1: I mean, it depends how one defines hard. Personally, yeah, I'd yeah. rather do something like that than 78k on flat road. Yeah,
0: yeah, sure. But, uh, I mean, some of those down I remember you know, I used to hang around down there, and um, those downhills are just a bit scary because they've got those big sort of marbly-type rocks and stuff on them and easily hurt yourself.
1: Yeah, not advisable to fall in certain places. They, there's no real exposure on the course. It is more just, you know, you might graze yourself but you're not going to fall off a cliff anywhere
0: all right mate let's get to the big one um six foot track a couple of weeks ago was it two weeks two weeks today it must be Yeah, yeah it must be that all right first question were you going into that race to win it you get out of bed and said i'm going to win this today or was it more that i'm in bloody good shape and i reckon if things go well i'm in with a chance to win it
1: yeah obviously thinking more just i'm in a chance to win it that i don't think you can ever get too cocky in uh ultra marathons mm. that I will come back to bite you that it was more as I've alluded to throughout this conversation about focusing on yourself and executing your own race
0: now the start I mean obviously different year sort of a rolling start um, off the bus head down and off you go i wasn't i haven't really spoken to anyone who's done it um so i'm not really up with it but from what i could see from the um live stream it looked like you guys rather than start 30 seconds apart It looked like you guys were sort of started together is is that right or
1: yeah so for the first wave they did do more of a mass start we had to socially distance in the corral area but it was a mass start whereas then for the the following waves they would then actually do the rolling start but that was simply yeah so that they didn't want to have as we've seen in some races in the last sort of year where people cross the line in first and then someone crosses the line two minutes later and they're actually the winner because yeah. of this rolling start so yeah just try and get around that though it was still going by um chip time rather than uh gun time because of that because even if you were at the back of the corral because of the social distancing you know you still add sort of 10 seconds fortunately I knew that the other people in contention sort of for the win were all there right on the front, so that wasn't going to be an issue.
0: All right, let's talk through that race. When did it start to split up?
1: Yeah, I, I mean, I don't really have a strong awareness of what was going on sort of behind me, so I was the first onto Nellies. Okay. So, and I know at that point it was because of uh, all the rain and that Nellies was just a slippery waterfall, so was kind of partly strategic there to get first. I could just set the pace as being a conservative one. Um, And I know I had David Byrne and Ben St. Lawrence sort of were the couple behind me because we were sort of chatting on the way down and they certainly were in agreement that, Hey, let's not take any silly risks that if you add an extra, you know, 30 seconds going down and didn't break an ankle, that's probably worth it. Um, And then, yeah, once we got onto the fire trail down the bottom, then, Ben quickly caught up with me and we were running together
0: basically the whole way down to Cox. What was your mindset then? What were you thinking?
1: Uh, This is sort of what I was, this is sort of at this day sort of how I was kind of expecting it to pan out. I mean, I was interested to see if Ben as, you know, the stronger one on the flats, if he tried to push it a little bit more Mm. along there. He seemed pretty happy to let me sort of set the pace. And so it's like, okay, I'm just, again, yeah, this feels about right for me. So I'm going to do that. And yeah, we could see already at that stage, it it wasn't good conditions for course record or anything. So Mm. at that stage, you already were just switching your mindset to, okay, we're going, you know, run for the win rather than for the time.
0: Because of the heat and humidity that I heard about? Is that what you mean? Yeah. So
1: it was sort of a hot, humid year. Nelly's was waterfall and slippery and that single track sort of down between mega long road and uh the and cox was a bit more overgrown than it is in some years for instance the year where the course record was set it was had all sort of been cleared and you could really open up through there a bit more so all those sort of little factors where it's just okay you add a minute here and there I and mean, the heat and humidity obviously is a big one where that can add
0: several minutes and the river was up how, how high was that up your body when you went through
1: it uh, neck height so sort neck. of this, yeah, oh geez, so I didn't know. Is that high? Sort of doing this sort of mini sort of jump, swim, jump, swim as you sort really? of go
0: across it. Wow! And is this your first time you've done six foot?
1: I've run most of the course in training runs yeah. before, but this is my first time doing the race.
0: Did you have any idea that the lake was at, the, the river was up that high before you got to? Uh,
1: it? I suspected that it would be because i had the week. The weekend before, I'd come down early and I had done a training run there where I had gone across it and it was already at that point up to chest height and it had then just rained in the whole week since. So, yeah, not surprised by that.
0: Yeah. Are there, like, marshals and stuff down there? Like, is there a safety issue for some of these runners to get across it or it's not too bad or...? Uh,
1: not? I, I, I certainly felt it was all quite safe. I'm, <laughs> yeah. but I'm also a swimmer. So, there's a rope along along the river. So, if you... Okay. Um, Feel too as secure you can hold on to that and that's got um little floaties on it so you'll be okay and then also the rfs is there since the races are raising funds for them and so they've got yeah several people there watching the crossing so if something did go wrong someone can jump in
0: to save you and were you sort of um like knowing you're obviously going to get wet did you have to sort of think about what you know shoes and socks you're putting on or
1: yeah, so it, it did sort of play into why I chose to run in the Speedgoat Evo, so that I know that um, the Matrix upper that has drains water fantastically well. And so that was certainly a consideration.
0: And uh, you didn't have any issues w- with the socks, like later on the race, didn't create any issues having that those wet shoes and socks?
1: Uh, so training in Brisbane for a good six months of the year, your shoes are squelching, you know, from 30 minutes on every single run. So yep. I'm very used to having wet socks yep, while, yep. when I run. All
0: right. So you and Benny Saints across uh, the river together. Um, is it David still in third spot, but he's 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 further behind? He's not with you?
1: Uh, yeah, he's not with us okay. at that point. So I don't really know what was going on right, yeah. behind us.
0: Yep. So, so, um, so how, how's the race yeah. unfold from this point?
1: So this is where then, so we're running together for first sort of few, several, first few minutes basically going up pool V, but then it was obvious that uh, Ben was feeling stronger than I was going up that, so he started to pull away, and that was where I just sort of, okay, I, I suspect, and this was kind of what I suspected, because I know that he's a really strong um, uphill runner on that sort of climb, where it is just this. You know, strong grind and really measure how big your engine, and he probably has the slightly bigger engine. So he was able to pull away and put a bit of a gap on me. And so I was just sort of having to back myself, okay, I was really thinking, okay, save it for the Black Rangers. You know that's sort of really because that's usually where people suffer in this race that. It's that fi- that second half along- where it's a lot more runnable and that along the back range, which again, I knew would suit Ben's strengths a bit more than mine. And so if I cooked myself trying to keep up with him uh, going up pull V, then it might not end well. So at that point, I just kind of let him go, focus on what feels right for me and making sure that I'm setting myself up to have a stronger second half. So I, I was getting reports that the heart Way mark up pull V that he had sort of a 2 minute gap but from the t- from what the timing mats are showing by the top it was about 90 seconds so I don't know if I reeled a little bit in there okay. in that second half or not but
0: yeah. yeah that
1: was the sort of what we were looking at
0: yeah it's substantial isn't it so um when you guys first started climbing and he was pulling away I mean pretty much he was running at what he thought his threshold was you were running at yours did that gap open up quite quickly then? Like, did you go, wow, he's... he's... Relatively
1: quickly, yeah. Yep. He sort of really did pull away quite quickly. And so that was... It kind of reaffirmed in your mind. that it's just like, okay, this was the right decision because mm. if he is pulling away that quickly, then um, you would have had to work a lot harder to keep up. You're not just... Yeah. It, then once we got up to the top yeah he was sort of just in sight sometimes okay it depends how straight the road is
0: were you trying to stay positive at that stage you're thinking i'm still in this um i'm you know i'm I'm running at at my threshold um or were you thinking well maybe it's maybe it's second
1: uh at this point i was really thinking okay well first off that you know the best you can do on your day is the best so if fo- is your best so focus on just executing the best race possible for you yep. rather than focusing too much on what other people are doing but i'd also sort of knew that okay this is what you were then setting myself this is what i've been setting myself up for was yep. okay we want to run strong here along these black ranges so at that point it's like okay let's just see if we can slowly reel them in and yep. that was pretty much then how those next to 10 15k sort of panned out that it was just as I said, you can see him sometimes. So every time you sort of around a corner and have a bit more of a straight, be like, oh, I think I've made 10 meters. Mm, you mm. know, five minutes later, see him again and be like, I think I've made another 10 meters, mm. sort of thing. And just, okay, just be patient that don't get carried away trying to put in a surge to catch him just yep. if you are reeling him in at what feels correct then yep. that's great you're making ground just keep backing that and keep backing yourself
0: and your energy levels were pretty constant you weren't having too many lows or or worried that you know th- something was going to creep in or you felt pretty good
1: no i was really happy with how the nutrition hydration all okay. worked out that energy levels were quite consistent for the whole run that all felt good yep. it was as much that yeah sort of i feel like legs were sort of the limiting factor there of just trying to yeah keep turning him over as quickly as possible at that point
0: fatigue soreness, or more just fatigue
1: yeah just sort of general fatigue and yeah. that that i mean just if we're going to sort of skip ahead a little that that reeling him in over the black rangers was successful so it was a bit after the deviation that caught him and pulled away a little bit but it was then after the caves road crossing where there are a handful of little stairs that that was where going up and down them, could I wasn't cramping, but that sort of p- almost pre-cramp feel where it just feels like you can feel that muscle just holding on a little yep, bit, you yep. know, that you really push them to their limit. Yep. And so, yeah, getting that in, the, in a hammy and both my calves. And so that was sort of the point of, okay, I knew I'd pulled away a little bit, and so I just kind of dialed it back just that couple percent to try and yeah. not cramp.
0: Okay, yeah. So how many Ks out was that when, when you started feeling that? So
1: that was maybe there probably was six or seven k's to go still at that okay. point yeah um, so still a little while while to go and that was why i knew okay there's you don't want to take any risk yet you just want to keep pushing keep and just keep it steady yeah. and i sort of figured with the downhill descent that kind of suits my strengths and so if i did get caught and i had to at that point then take some risk to try and get the lead back then that was okay but there's no point risking uh cramping before then because if that forced me into a walk, then obviously you're going to get reeled in super quickly.
0: Was Benny wearing a road shoe or a trail shoe?
1: I believe he was wearing the Solomon Pulsars, so trail shoe.
0: Okay. I saw Mike, who finished third, he ran it in some next percents.
1: Yeah, it's uh, been interesting to see, yeah, some people choose. Yeah. I, mean, I mean, it's been a race where people have often run in road shoes yeah. successfully.
0: Yeah, okay, yeah.
1: Um yeah, I mean, I, I find it really interesting that, yeah, I've seen quite a few people use the carbon-plated road shoes on the trails. And I've always... I, I'd be really interested that, obviously, so there's been all the research looking at how it improves economy on a flat-level treadmill. I'd mm. be really interested to see that is there any sort of benefit on on this more varied terrain? Mm. where it Or is it actually a hindrance? Is this... Are mm. these plates, yeah, in that case, actually trying to force you into a gate that doesn't isn't actually optimal on this terrain i think that's yeah i'd love to see some research in that area yeah and we we are seeing now brands are all moving uh you know we've already seen some carbon plated trail shoes hit the market this year and i suspect we will see more in the next year
0: well you're a hoka runner aren't you i am yep and um don't they have a a trail carbon shoe or not? Is the carbon X Just a trail uh, road shoe? Is it or? At
1: the moment, they only have um, yeah, road, plated okay.
0: shoes. Yeah, got yeah. Yeah. At right the here. moment. At the moment, yeah, sure. All right, mate. Let's get back to the win. Um, so so you've, you you some cramp five five or six k's to go in. You've had to dial it back a bit, obviously. Where well, you sort of um. You know feeling nervous at this time that just waiting for um, for, for benny to reel you and you sort of looking over your shoulder or when did you think um yeah
1: you know, no got... i wasn't quite looking over my shoulder like yeah. i suspected that okay well I, and sort of i guess sort of what i tell myself is that it's like well if it's hurting me it's probably killing them so yeah. Yeah. keep going yeah and as i said i was sort of had purposely there saved a little bit for if i get caught there's a little bit left in the tank to sort of push that bit harder because at that point like, okay, well you can take that risk. Again, so uh, you know, you kind of are starting to be like, okay, come on, finish line, come on finish line, but yeah, you're still um backing yourself. It was only then with the final few hundred meters, once you then hit the um paved descent leading into the finish line, Jenolan caves, that there was someone sitting there with a cowbell. And so they ring it for me as I go past and cool, thanks. And then you hear it 25 seconds later, they yeah. ring it again. And that's kind of the, oh no moment. <laughs> it, like, we got we got to go. Okay. Yeah. And that was, and that was what I've sort of been saving myself for. It's like, okay, if he, he want, you want to have an uh, inkling that he's a bit closer than you would like, you can open up. And so at that point, it's like, well, I'm just going to go for it because I don't want to be in a sprint finish with Australian 10K record holder.
0: No, it's fantastic. It was great. No, oh, congratulations, mate. Well done um defending champion you would have to go back now obviously
1: maybe yeah like i haven't really sort of started playing next year mm-hmm. out too much because it's sort of depend a bit on how things go this year what well i mean who knows what state the world will be in in 12 months time so we'll see but i'm certainly contemplating
0: going back so next weekend yeah yeah same uh, we got the canberra marathon down here so um yeah same weekend as buff stampede yeah like you said you're you're in taper mode now how does your taper mode Look, is it pretty much just um, still run every day, but just back the volume off? Or yeah, do you even run hills in the days letting in?
1: Uh, well, this time it's going to be slightly dependent a bit by logistics. That so on Monday I'm going to fly down to Melbourne and I have to do a uh, COVID test and stay in a hotel to self-isolate until I have my negative result back, which okay. will hopefully only be 24 hours.
0: Yep. Okay.
1: Um, and that point I'll be allowed out. So I'll probably, will have the Monday off from running and just do a bit of strength and mobility work in the hotel room. And then, um, yeah, I'm just staying in Melbourne near, nearby the tan and that's, I'll probably just be running flat around there for that week. Mm. Um, by the week before a race, you it's more about not doing damage than actually getting any sort of training effect that, you don't you don't have time to adapt to any sort of hard sessions and that. So it is all just easy running. Um a few I'll do a cup probably on the Tuesday, some slightly faster efforts just to keep the zip in the legs. And but it's really just about doing what has you feeling good as possible on the start line, that you're not actually trying to Well, by taking it easy, you can actually put yourself in a better position to adapt to the previous several weeks of training. I think some people sometimes don't appreciate that that you don't adapt to these sessions overnight. Some of these, some sessions, can, you know, have altered gene expression for up to sort of, you know, a month afterwards and that. So you're sort of really, yeah, just absorbing the hard work of the weeks beforehand.
0: Yep. No, definitely. Good point. We'll use that little segue over to the coaching. So I'm all 27 now. You've been with them for how many years?
1: So I started working with Andy as an athlete back in 2012 and then came on board as a coach in 2016.
0: Okay. And it's a full-time gig now. That's pretty good. Yeah. uh, As soon as I, so
1: I was before that, so I I have been coaching since I was 17, actually. I started off coaching my old high school um, track and cross-country teams and that. So it's something I've been doing for over 10 years now, but uh as soon as i started with mile 27 I actually went straight into sort of full time that i left my phd to to pursue that and that was a bit of a risk that of course when you start you have zero athletes so bit of a financial risk there but then back yourself to sort of build it up gradually And fortunately, so far that has worked out for me
0: yeah okay so you got a university degree in
1: uh my bachelor's was in physics okay um and yeah and i was doing a phd in theoretical quantum physics but knew that academia wasn't for me so i left that to pursue coaching full time and since then i have also done a master's in sports coaching
0: so you're writing up are you like doing mainly online stuff you guys got little groups that you that you're doing up there or how's it work
1: at this stage i'm purely working remotely um, with predominantly ultra marathon runners but and trail runners of all sort of different distances so that, and that's as much that logistically, that's what works out for people that in ultra running and trail running, it can be such a niche that you don't ha- necessarily have enough people training for the same event at the same level, and it's convenient for them to train at the same time. And so that's sort of where the remote coaching works really well.
0: Now, we sort of touched on uh, on the mental philosophy and, and, and having that the attitude um, on race day. How do you go about getting that you know into the heads of the guys you coach i mean it's it's a hard thing to to teach someone because nearly you need to experience it so many times before the penny drops type thing but uh it's i always find it's a hard thing to express to someone in words um it's not like they need to suffer so many times before before they can understand it but how do you go about doing that
1: Exactly, and it's very nuanced. That it depends on the person. That some people can come in. So, so it comes down a lot to communication, to sort of getting that read on people, what is going through their head, and uh, how are they coping with these different things. And then different thing, finding different things will resonate with people differently. That you can use the exact same, you know, you, you can tell the two people the same thing, and it will one will, you know, will take that on board, and the other won't. Mm. So you you've got to take a very personalised approach. And then it comes down to, okay, testing in races and that. So there might be various lead-up races, just building experience over the years as you you know learn lessons from each little race. And then training is also then that sometimes you can simulate various challenges in in training. That that can be where you see how do they cope with um, various hard sessions or long sessions. If they're doing a run where they need to run through the night and that, you know, how do they cope with a bit of, night running and those sorts of things that yeah it really comes down to finding t- testing a person sort of seeing where do their mental strengths and weaknesses lie and then having those conversations around that accordingly
0: and what about yourself personally have you sort of um obviously done you know the vks and all the long runs and, and there have been plenty of times when you've actually had to say come on mate uh let's keep it going it'll be all over soon but are there certain mantras or any keywords or anything that you sort of go to 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 remind yourself that, uh, you know, to get you through those those hard times. And and uh, the second part of that is where there are similar things that tended to happen earlier on, you now you, you feel you're sort of on top of by just approaching it differently mentally.
1: What, what, one common one that I think worked well for most people is keeping it all in perspective that it's like, well, you, I've chosen to be here. That when it gets hard, that was the point that I wasn't there for a walk in the park. If I wanted to walk in a park, I would have gone well, walk in a park. I wouldn't have signed up for an ultra marathon. So when it gets challenging, it's reminding, okay, great. This is why I'm here. I'm here to challenge myself. I am here to test myself. Obviously, that doesn't actually make it any easier, but it can help you sort of suffer less in that point that it's keeping it all in perspective, mm. um, that it's a privilege to be there. It's a privilege to hurt because you've chosen that. And so another one that I've sort of been working on really – recently more is various mantras that throughout different time various ones resonate the moment sort of more just keeping it really simple that one thing worked on uh with a sports psychologist actually also is just trying to keep more positive sort of affirmations and sort of self-talk and really taking ownership of it and so some really simple ones that i have been using that i sort of really struggled with at first but and sort of gotten a little bit better with these sort of ones where it's statements, you know, starting with like, I am, so it's like, I am strong or I am fast, I am tough and sort of trying to, you know, you, you reassure, both reassure yourself of that and sort of take on that identity as you're going up is that rather than try and using those sort of phrases to replace, you know, any negative thoughts, you know, where it's like, I am, you know, I'm slowing down, I'm suffering, I'm in pain. Mm. You want to change that to, yeah, these much more positive phrases, and that's something I've been working on quite a bit recently.
0: With Hocker, how long have you been with Hocker for? Do you call it Hocker or hoker?
1: I mean, Hoka is the official pronunciation, okay. but no one... Everyone knows what you mean if you say hocker, so yeah, yes, yeah. I go back and forth according to whatever sure. someone else is using. Yeah. Um, but yeah, Hoka owner is the correct pronunciation. Yeah. But I've been with them since uh, the T N F Hundred 2013. That was when I first joined the team. So okay. I've been quite a few years now.
0: Yeah, yeah, right. right almost
1: here. coming up to yeah eight years.
0: So I know Dion's with them. Uh, are there any other like specific trial runners on that team in Australia?
1: uh kelly emerson is okay. yep. on it so obviously she's coming back from uh having a baby so but she's you know been top 10 at top five at utmb and that and had some incredible results so she's a phenomenal athlete
0: all right so you mentioned you're not really too keen to, to run the rides as yet but what about something like comrades i mean that's an ultra marathon it's it's an incredible history and and tradition um it's long so it's an ultra marathon would you ever consider doing something like that because the the, the depth there is pretty good and brendan davies had an incredible year over there one year
1: yeah i definitely would consider it but i think i'd probably be taking it more as just a bucket list race yeah but it's kind of like you know as i said i'm not that tempted in trying to have a proper crack at a marathon yeah but something like new york or london it's like well they'd be great races to do because when else do you get to see those cities without the cars on the road sort of thing that'd be as much about a touristy thing and i think comrades would probably be a similar experience though i don't want maybe i would be more keen and uh you know down the line there might be a time where i want to have a proper crack at it i'd be more likely i think to have a proper crack at that than i would a, a flat marathon
0: all right, Ben, that's a wrap, mate. Uh, appreciate so much giving you time today. Um, obviously, all the best with all those upcoming races, uh, Buff 75 and uh, UTA. Um, hope like hell that um, they, they all go ahead. Um, as you mentioned before, crazy times one week by week at the moment. Hopefully, more chocolates for you to take home. Thanks again, mate. And can I put a uh, link over to your uh, socials like Striver and uh, you on the gram? Or...
1: Yeah, yeah, uh, Instagram, Facebook. I'm just uh, at Ben Duffus. Fortunately, it's an uncommon name, so I'm pretty easy to find. Yeah, you can look me up for my coaching website, Mile27. Again, if you just Google Mile27 and put my name in there as well, it'll be easy to find.
0: All right, and I'll, I'll just whack those uh, those links in the um, show notes below for the listeners too, and um, maybe some links over to, um, to your sponsors, uh, Hoka and um, Infinite, Mile27. All right, Ben, thanks, Mike. Bye. Okay, see you, Mike.